the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Before we get started, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for your generosity in the Union Gospel Mission Radiothon yesterday. We had set a goal for the KPDQ listening audience and we exceeded that goal. So once again, I'm so grateful. It's not... Um, that it's personally gratifying to me because you're listeners to this program and uh, listeners to KPDQ in general, but it's just a reflection of the heart of God's people responding to a need. And there are so many of them that are brought to our attention. I'm always uh, so blessed and encouraged and inspired by your example during these Radiothon events. So thank you very much. We'll move on. Hey, this is the Georgine Rice Show, and today we're going to return to our usual fare. James Blend will be producing Clark Hilton Engineering, and Dan Rice once again has given up the use of his office for the sake of the cause. And I think I mentioned earlier that we're planning in early July to return to the physical station uh, from whence we uh, we ran uh, for cover back in March of last year. So we haven't broadcast live from the uh, from the studios of KPDQ um, for what a year and a half plus. So when that happens, we'll be broadcasting in real time. Uh, we'll be um, uh, giving you an opportunity to weigh in, something that I've missed greatly during this season. At a time when we really needed to talk to one another, we didn't have the technical ability to do that. So things are going to uh, go back to normal with some, I think, some uh, great additions as well. So that's all coming up. I think our first day back in studio broadcasting live in real time will be uh, Friday, the 9th of July, and uh, that's kind of given us an opportunity to warm up to the idea and get ourselves acclimated once again. And then uh, from that point forward, uh, Lord willing, we'll be in the studio moving uh, moving forward. So all of that coming up in the days ahead. But today we're going to look at some of the day's news, actually from the last several days. And we're also going to um, share an interview I had with Alex Lippard. He's the author of After Work, an honest discussion about the retirement lie and how to live a future worthy of dreams. It's independently published, and I think you'll enjoy what he has to say about this season we call retirement and how God's purpose uh, and call on our life really extends beyond the end of our um, work life in which we receive a regular paycheck. So that's coming up uh, in this first hour, uh, straddling into the next hour as well. Taking a look at some of the headlines again from the last several days, the CDC is holding an emergency meeting on heart inflammation in young males after COVID shots. We'll tell you more about what they discovered. That was earlier in the week. Novavax is likely to add a fourth COVID vaccine to the U.S. arsenal. And the Florida Board of Education has officially banned critical race theory from the state classrooms. Vice President Kamala Harris' uh, loyalists think the border crisis uh, was a, a pretty bad assignment because the president doesn't want to do it himself. And she's finally said she's making her way to the border. 90 days since that assignment has been given. The Justice Department will toughen rules for seizing lawmakers' data. And the feds are investigating Chinese spies' um, early return to the U.S. ahead of the COVID travel ban. The U.S. Senate has confirmed D.C. Circuit nominee Ketanji Brown-Jackson. 
uh, to replace Merrick Garland. A survey says that most teachers who have heard of uh, critical race theory support it, contrary to most parents. Well, Georgia is investigating Fulton County ballot drop box forms from the 2020 election, and North Carolina's COVID emergency order has been extended through July. The number of small businesses has fallen nearly 40 percent, 40 percent due to the lockdowns. Suicide attempts among adolescents skyrocketed during the pandemic as well. Well, around the world, Israelis now uh, new prime minister rather rightfully says renewing the Iran nuclear deal was a mistake and no rest for the weary. The Chinese nuclear plant is likely leaking near 126 million people. The New York Times has retracted its claim that it smeared the Babylon Bee as a far right misinformation source. It's, of course, the uh, center of satire and oil prices reached its uh, highest level in over two years as demand has rebounded. On the other hand, lumber prices posted their biggest ever weekly drop with buyers balking again earlier in the week. Um, Millions and possibly billions of dollars are at stake as a judge has stopped the Biden administration from blocking new oil and gas leases. The uh, GAO says Biden's border wall halts was legal and a showdown over border wall spending has reached the Supreme Court. Big technology critic Lena Khan uh, has been confirmed uh, by the Senate and will chair the Federal Trade Commission. The National Republican Congressional Committee has announced a third straight fundraising record. U.S. COVID deaths hit 600,000, equal to the yearly cancer toll, according to the AP. And there's more evidence suggesting that the coronavirus was stateside by Christmas of 2019. Well, the worker shortage explained unemployed uh, households can earn $25 an hour on welfare in 21 states. So why return to work? College enrollment sees its largest decline since 2011. Well, Southern Baptists have picked Ed Litton as president, and um, Albert Moeller, who was on that uh, that lineup, came in third. Well, legendary singer Nina Simone's granddaughter is accusing Vice President Kamala Harris of causing the family to lose control of Simone's estate while Harris was California Attorney General. Nina's granddaughter uh, says uh, Rihanna Simone says uh, Kelly wrote on Twitter on uh, Saturday, my family does, uh, doesn't run her estate anymore. It was taken away from us and given to white people. Our family named name rather was dragged in the media. We got no royalties, nothing. Want to hold someone accountable? Ask Kamala Harris why, uh, why she came for my family. As I said before, ask her why she separated my family. She continued, ask her why my grandmother's estate is in shambles now. Ask her why uh, we as her family no longer own the rights to anything. Ask her why she bullied my mother in court and my mom almost killed herself from depression, end quote. Well, the 2016 settlement regarding the Nina Simone Charitable Trust refers to Harris multiple times for her primary responsibility for supervising charitable trusts in California as the state attorney general. Now, I don't know the facts of the case and whether or not Nina Simone's granddaughter is uh, fairly characterizing them. But the settlement reads, the attorney general asserts that Lisa Simone Kelly uh, breached her fiduciary duty to the estate and to the charitable trust and wrongfully diverted estate assets. The attorney general seeks to surcharge Kelly for amounts of uh, $5 million plus, uh, over $2.5 million in interest, which the attorney general contends is far more than one half of the estate's value. Uh, Lisa Simone Kelly's administration of the estate, the settlement reads. Rianne Simone Kelly said uh, there is a lot of slander about her mother, Lisa Simone 
Kelly. So he said, she said, legal wrangling back and forth. In other developments, the border crisis shows few signs of slowing as migrant encounters and fentanyl seizures are high. And the vice president has gone 90 days without a visit to the border since being tapped for the crisis role. As I mentioned today, it's been announced that she plans to visit the U.S.-Mexico border. Steve Calise says accused Speaker Pelosi of a Soviet-style cover-up as COVID-19 of the 19 origins. House Minority Whip Steve Scalise had some fiery words for House Speaker Nancy Pelosi while speaking at the Faith and Freedom Coalition conference, accusing her of thwarting efforts to investigate the true origins of COVID-19 pandemic. Pelosi won't do it, Scalise told the crowd on the second day of the three-day conference in in, uh, Kissimmee, Florida. He promised that when Republicans retake the House in the 2022 midterms, they will hold China accountable, end quote. They are covering for China right now, Scalise said of his Democratic colleagues, it's a Soviet-style cover-up. We're going to keep calling them out on it. Uh, it's, uh, Fox News reached out to Pelosi's uh, press office for comment on the matter. A spokesperson referred to the House Intelligence Committee's investigation into the origins of COVID-19. As Brazil tops 500,000 COVID-19 deaths, protests rage against the president there. And Dr. Fauci doubles down on his claim that attacking him is an attack on science. Kevin McCarthy has called for the declassification of COVID origins intelligence, saying that uh, we should let the entire world know. Meanwhile, the Biden, uh, Biden administration is showing empty rhetoric on China as questions remain about the origins of COVID-19. Well, a St. Louis couple touts a new AR-15 after their guns were seized over a Black Lives Matter encounter. Despite having their weapons seized and pleading guilty to charges in connection with pointing guns at protesters on their private property during the summer of 2020, Mark and Patricia uh, Patricia McCloskey appeared defiant on Saturday, posting a picture of their new AR-15 they intend to buy. Well, checking out um, the weapon, they said in the... uh, Uh, In the post, they tweeted along with two pictures, one with McCloskey at a gun store with the owner and another with him and his wife, Patricia. In both, he's holding an AR-15 rifle he intends to purchase, but is not yet his. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up for the next three segments, we're going to hear from Alex Lippert, author of Afterwork. That's uh, going to straddle into the first segment of the next hour, so stay with us. We're continuing to wind our way through the news from the last several days since we weren't in studio to do that. Well, Amtrak's regional rail expansion faces a hurdle from freight trains. The U.S. plans to spend big on critical minerals. Choosing where, however, isn't quite so easy. And Facebook and Alphabet keep rising while Apple and Netflix are fading. Well, the worker shortage has sparked a -a rent-a-staffer boom in the food industry, and the natural gas glut has evaporated, giving prices, or rather driving prices, higher. Well, there's a new leader in Iran. Meanwhile, Israeli Prime Minister Bennett warns that this is the last chance for the U.S. to step back from the Iran deal. Ibrahim Raisa, a hardline Shia cleric, won the Iranian presidential election with 61.9% of the vote. From ABC News, he has taken on a number of influential roles in the Islamic Republic, most notably as a chief of the judiciary, and his track record comes with a long list of alleged human rights violations. The Wall Street Journal points out we will be committed to the GC, or rather JCPOA, as an agreement that was approved by the Supreme Leader, 
Mr. Risa said. And the New York Times, or rather the New York Post, quite a significant difference there, says Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett warned that the U.S. and other nations seeking to rekindle the nuclear agreement with Iran. Uh, Risa's election is, I would say, the last chance for world powers to wake up before returning to the nuclear agreement and understand who they are doing business with. Again, a quote from Israel's new prime minister. Senator Lindsey Graham says the GOP is not giving in to Democrats SR1. And as you know, that was defeated yesterday. We'll talk more about that. And Catholic bishops voted against or rather amidst a debate on whether President Biden ought to receive communion. Well, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops voted overwhelmingly to draft a formal document on the meaning of the Eucharist after the contentious debate on whether President Biden and other politicians who support abortion policies are worthy of receiving communion at mass. Such a stance by a public figure is a grave moral evil, according to Archbishop Joseph Nauman of Kansas City, Kansas. Uh, He chairs the uh, Committee on Pro-Life Activities and believes it's necessary to publicly rebuke Biden on the issue. The Daily Wire Wire, reports 60 uh, Catholic Democrats from the House and Senate issued a statement of principles to the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops on Friday, demanding that the conference... Um, when drafting its document on the Eucharist due um, out later this year, offering their list of commands, if you will. Representative Ilhan Omar calls for reparations in a Juneteenth celebration tweet. President Biden made uh, the June the 19th a federal holiday on Friday to celebrate the emancipation of black slaves after the Civil War. Representative Omar says, as we reflect on the significance of what this day symbolizes, let's keep fighting to address the lasting consequences of slavery. Next step, reparations. Well, the GOP fundraising outpaces um, Democrats as Republicans eye control of Congress following the midterm elections. Uh, Free Beacon reports the National Republican Com- Congressional Committee raised over $14 million last month. It's third straight record-breaking month for fundraising, the group says. The Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee in the same month brought in just $10 million. Fox News reports that House Republicans have a history on their side as they aim to regain the chamber. The party that controls the White House, which is currently the Democrats, on average loses roughly 25 House seats in the midterm elections. And the once in a decade uh, redistribution process pegged to the 2020 census is expected to generally favor Republicans over Democrats as well. A radical district attorney in Los Angeles is facing a recall effort. George Gascon has uh, pressed Uh, Angelinos to the point that they may have had enough. New York Times says that Mr. Gascon, 67, who was propelled into office by uh, grassroots activists in the aftermath of the police killing of George Floyd, is one of the nation's most progressive prosecutors in one of America's most liberal cities. And yet he's facing an intense backlash in enacting the sorts of policies demanded by protesters last year and aimed at reducing the vast racial disparities in arrests and prosecutions. Gascon is uh, amidst a cadre of DAs who are working to fundamentally reverse engineer the role of the prosecutor. Heritage Foundation says in practice that results um, in favoring the and benefiting defendants, attacking police officers, shunning victims and cozying up to criminal defense attorneys and radical um, uh, decarceration uh, zealots has not uh, bode has not can't say boded did not bode well for the prosecutor. I'll put it that way. Well, meanwhile, the National Education Association Teachers Union is uh, threatening to strike. America's largest union that fought in-person teaching throughout the pandemic now wants a raise. 
Townhall.com reports that the National Education Association staff organization uh, has hit an impasse in a labor dispute over what employees at the National Education Association call a slew of anti-union delay tactics. The result of the impasse, a secret vote of members that yielded 98% support for authorizing a strike. Essentially, the Union for Employees of the nation's largest union is ready to strike against said union for allegedly being anti-union. Well, according to Andrew um, the president of the uh, organization uh, says this, we refuse to back down from management's anti-union tactics that run counter to NEA's values. Well, the Supreme Court ruling may signal a positive direction for religious liberty, though the uh, court did not overturn the Smith decision. The broad signal from a unanimous decision is clear. Some saw a path forward in the concurring opinion of this, the uh, court's newest member, Justice Amy Coney Barrett. Wall Street Journal reports the Barrett concurrence offers a good sign for where the Supreme Court may be going on religious liberty. Lori Windham, an attorney with the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, who argued the case for the Catholic Social Services, points out current precedent isn't um, uh, isn't doing a good enough job to protect religious liberty, and they want to see something better, she said, even if they haven't told us yet exactly what that might be. Hugh Hewitt points out that to Justice Roberts and apparently Justice uh, Barrett, Breyer, and Kavanaugh joined Thursday in a quiet between-the-lines appeal to the public and its officials to lay down arms and leave believers alone. Religious uh, belief is protected, just like free speech and a free press. That's the bottom line. If the court is obliged to hammer that home, it will. Well, COVID shutdowns and mask mandates have served the, the uh, cause of the elites. According to Barton Swain, is the uh, benefit of not contracting uh, COVID-19 worth the cost of going without the bodily presence of, say, one's children and grandchildren for months on end? Put that way, I suspect most Americans' answers would range from probably not to, well, no only stronger. But in 2020, public health experts and their defenders in the media uh, proceeded as though yes were the only conceivable answer. As a year of faceless interaction mandated by government and monitored by authority figures and busybodies exasperated the sense of estrangement and annoyance many Americans feel toward one another. Well, that's uh, that so many people are unwilling to take uh, take them uh, off long after their benefits have expired would suggest unintended social consequences. A German media company raises an Israeli flag in response to anti-Semitic demonstrations for the employees who had a problem with it. The message from the CEO, look for a new job. From the story, the remarks by Axel Springer, SE CEO Matthias Doppner, uh, were made during the meeting last Thursday for the company's 16,000 employees, where he addressed complaints from some employees that the company had raised an Israeli flag outside company headquarters in Berlin. I think, and I'm being very frank with you, a person who has an issue with an Israeli flag being raised for one week here after anti-Semitic uh, demonstrations should look for a new job, Doppner said. Well, Catholic bishops approved a communion document aimed at possible rebuke. Ironically, nearly 60 House Democrats, whose party increasingly targets religious liberty, called on the Catholic bishops to stop targeting pro-abortion politicians. Meanwhile, the Vatican pitifully dismissed the pressure to ban communion for abortion-supporting Catholics. The border crisis shows a few signs of slowing as migrant encounters and fentanyl seizures stay high. 56 House Republicans urge President Biden to remove Kamala Harris from the leading role 
of the migration process or crisis. And as I mentioned, she's now conceded she will travel to the uh, the border. The VA plans to reverse its common sense ban on sex change surgeries for veterans. And despite campaign promises, 60 percent could see tax increases under a Biden's proposal. Wake up. In national security, the new Israeli leader blasts Biden's nuclear talks with Iran, and the White House has frozen a $100 million Ukraine military package that includes lethal weapons. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we'll talk with Alex Lippert, author of Afterwork, an honest discussion about the retirement lie and how to live a future worthy of dreams. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Retirement. I'm looking forward to retiring at some point, and I think most of us are, but how do you go about it? While working with numerous clients over the years, my next guest and his co-author, Joel Malik and Alex Lippert, they began to see a pattern. Lots of people were well-prepared financially, but pretty ill-prepared in other critical ways. Well, the authors of Afterwork, an honest discussion about the retirement lie and how to live a future worthy of dreams, They say purpose is central. Many people work their entire lives longing for retirement. Once they arrive, they find something missing. Well, the pair, they believe there are 10 essential keys to consider. We're going to talk about them. The cornerstone habits offset what they refer to as the sugar rush of retirement. This is that honeymoon period of euphoria after retirement that quickly fades. Well, the pursuits of purpose, faith, deepening your connection with others, a hunger for learning, experiencing the new, uh, rekindling a sense of awe in your life and practicing generosity. All these um, are uh, in their own unique way, combat the strong societal pressure we face. In the end, what will be important? Well, I'm just delighted to talk about this book. Yesterday, I celebrated my 65th birthday. And while I'm not quite ready to, in quotes, retire, this book has really got me thinking because I want to be, I want to have a meaningful and purposeful end of life experience. So I'm grateful. Alex Lipper joins us. He's one of the co-authors. He's a partner with Steadfast Wealth Company in Colorado Springs, Colorado. He joined the financial services industry in 2010. He earned his Bachelor of Arts degree from the University of Puget Sound. Uh, double majoring in international business finance and in Mandarin Chinese. Uh, He enjoys cooking for family and friends, fly fishing, uh, trail running, and is a beekeeper. I wish we had time to talk about that. Well, he and his wife love adventuring with their daughter, Goldie, and their rescue pup. But today we're going to talk about that end-of-life experience we all look forward to but may not plan well enough for retirement. Thank you so much for joining us today, Alex. Yeah, thanks. Really happy to be here and happy belated birthday to you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, I love the title of your book, and because of my stage in life, I was immediately interested, but I really think it should appeal to people much younger and those who are older than I am. Again, the title of the book, After Work, an honest discussion about the retirement lie and how to live a future worthy of dreams. Let's begin with the retirement lie, because I think most of us embrace that lie without really giving it much thought. What are we mistaken about when we think about life after work? Yeah, so the retirement lie is that a selfish, withdrawn retirement is a good one. I think our society uh, continually feeds us this narrative of, you know, sail off into the sunset and, you know, live the good life, quote unquote, live in the dream, you know. And I think the dream that society feeds us constantly is that. You know, as soon as you reach this certain level of assets where, you know, your investments or your rental properties or 
whatever they are, can essentially sustain your life financially, you no longer need to be engaged. You no longer need to be plugged in. Um, you can essentially just go off and vacation for the rest of your life. And uh, for most of us, you know, that sounds great right now, just because we're all kind of in the middle of life's mayhem. You know, we have demanding careers and we're raising children and we're doing all these different things. Um, and there's a shortage on time right now. But as soon as we have, um, you know, that huge amount of time that retirement equates to a lot of us become lost. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, you provided some uh, some glimpses into what retirement life is for many people who haven't perhaps given the kind of thought your book recommends. Average retiree watches uh, 49 hours of TV a week. Divorce rates uh, have uh, slowed across the uh, board except for 50 plus. More than 6.5 million Americans aged 65 and older are dealing with depression on some level, according to the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And during working years, the average American has seven hours per day outside of sleep and work. In retirement, that's more th- that more than doubles to about 15 hours of free time. Uh, if we don't think about uh, life after work, we're likely to fit into that sort of category and sort of meander our way to the end of life without much meaning. Correct. Yeah. The the uh, the deeper down the rabbit hole, uh, Joel and I went on this on this topic. The more and more we just discovered this is a serious issue. Mm-hmm. And again, I think it's one of those. Um, a lot of times it's unheard of. You know, so many people think that this is going to be a time of just endless bliss and I just need to get there to reach it. Um, and so it's kind of a quiet suffering situation. I mean, most people, if you ask them how's retirement, their initial response is things are going great, you know, but as you continually dig deeper and really get into the substance of, you know, what, you know, what's their day to day? What are they actually doing that's kind of a purpose center in their life? A lot of times you'll end up at the conclusion of, man, they're actually having a really tough time, but nobody, you know, is supposed to feel that way. So Mm -hmm. it's really weird to finally show up after this career at retirement and be like, okay, now it's time to really enjoy life. And you're like, wait, why am I not enjoying this? And so we, we wanted to explore that as deeply as possible in this book. And we both felt called to write it. So here we are. Well, I certainly uh, appreciate it. Now, what are the major changes in our thought process as we grow older? I think that, you know, it's really interesting when you eventually, quote unquote, retire, you're at this culmination of accumulation in your life. And what I mean by that is you've got the most time that you've ever had in your life from that point on every day. You've got the most wisdom, the most experience that you've ever had in your life. And presumably, you have the most resources, um, financial and otherwise. And so, you know, it's really a tragedy for for people at that kind of culminating point in their lives to not put all of that amazingness to use. I mean, you've got so much potential there to make a huge impact um, on the world around you, on your community, on your own legacy kind of long term. And so I think you know, as you approach retirement, obviously your relationship with time is going to change drastically. It's kind of like the, you know, the dog chasing the car down the road. The dog doesn't know what to do if it actually catches the car, right? But the dog just thinks that it wants the car. And it's the same thing with us about time. I mean, we all think in our busy lives that we, that we just want more time. But once we get it, 
we can find that, oh, wow, I actually need to, you know, find fulfillment in this swath of just free time that I have every single day. You know, you find yourself waking up on a Wednesday morning, sleeping in, and if your calendar is completely blank the rest of the week and you've accomplished all of the home projects that you wanted to do and taken a lot of vacations and, you know, done all of those things that are kind of the immediate sugar rush stuff that you've always wanted to do immediately in retirement, you can absolutely just, you know, lose yourself and feel like you're no longer you anymore. So we're trying to avoid that with the book. Yeah. Now, in your work in financial planning, what kind of regrets do people often express uh, in the area of finance and perhaps beyond? Yeah. So we use a lot of stories in the book that are Mm -hmm. real client stories, uh, but we, you know, change the names and some of the details. So to keep the gist of the story uh, true to the story, but obviously we don't want any of our clients for good or for bad, you know, just feeling bad about it. Um, But, you know, there's just uh, so many folks that kind of get down the path of retirement and they look back and they feel like they don't have a lot to show for it. You know, um, you can sure go golf a lot. You can take a lot of vacations. You can do all of these things like that, that are fun. And we don't want to discourage that. I mean, retirement is a fantastic time to go and enjoy that flexibility, the freedom to go do stuff that you really want to do and have a lot of fun. But I think, you know, that has to be kind of the garnish on the plate and not the entree. Um, But a lot of folks look back on retirement and it's just kind of a blur. It's just a blur of golf and happy hours and all these fun things, but there's not a lot of true victories. And I think one of the themes in our book is that, you know, true challenge actually brings true results. So you really have to challenge yourself. You really have to put in, you know, the blood, sweat, and tears in order to really have this impactful, fulfilling outcome that you want to see, whatever that outcome is. Yeah, yeah. We're going to take a quick break, but I'll continue my conversation with Alex Lippert. He is the co-author of After Work, an honest discussion about the retirement lie and how to live a future worthy of dreams. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with uh, Alex Lippert. He is the co-author, along with Joel Malik, of After Work, an honest discussion about the retirement lie and how to live a future worthy of dreams. You draw a distinction between happiness and meaningfulness in the context of the retirement years. Uh, explain the difference and how that can uh, elevate our, our period of post-work uh, to a level that makes life worth living? Yeah, really good question. I think we all are convinced that we're seeking happiness, but I think happiness is a lagging indicator. It's you know something organic that kind of comes from within when you're being fulfilled. And so I think we all chase happiness, but we're really chasing fulfillment and a meaningful existence. And so I think, you know, for me personally, when I'm, you know, leaving a really demanding day of volunteer work or in, you know, my daily job as a financial planner, when I, when I know deep down that I really, truly impacted somebody's life trajectory um, and it was very material, you know, I changed the course of their life financially, um, those types of things are fulfilling to me. and. I feel like happiness is a byproduct of that. And so I think we need to focus more on 
meaning and fulfillment in our lives and less on happiness because happiness will be a natural byproduct of being fulfilled. And so I think our society creates a lot of misnomers out there, like, you know, just watching commercials or, you know, just things online. And it's, you know, like the Instagram life or whatever. I don't have an Instagram, but I've heard of the Instagram life. And, you know, it's the best car, the best house, fantastic vacations, you know, great at golf, great at tennis. I mean, you just go down the list and there's all these things that I think people envision, you know, creates happiness and all that stuff is, you know, can be fun and can be enjoyed, but I think it's really not fulfilling. That's just kind of the window dressing. And so you really have to dig deep, figure out, you know, what fulfills you truly, you know, what do you finish and you say that was good work and you're going to be happy because of that good work, I think. I love the illustration you used earlier that that should be the garnish on the plate, but not the, but not the entree, not the main event. Yeah. Uh, and that's such a, a great picture of how we kind of order the abundant time that retirement often brings. Now, you encourage uh, readers to look at our lives and choices backward from the end of life. Now, how does this work to alter our perspective? Yeah. In the book, we discuss um, having a reverse legacy discussion with yourself. So having a deathbed conversation with yourself, but doing it now, um, you know, would you say on your deathbed, I wish I would have played one more game of pickleball hmm. um, or watched more news or, you know, played more golf um, or would you say something else? Like, I wish I would have spent more time with the grandkids or helped out, you know, helped my children more or you know, made an impact with a nonprofit or founded a nonprofit, or, I mean, you can just go down the list. And I think if you have that deathbed conversation with yourself, you begin to delineate between what's truly important in life and what's not, you know, I mean, I can't personally, I can't really remember, you know, out of the last 10, just kind of family get togethers where we all just got together at our house, shared a meal. I can't, you know, with very much description, describe kind of all of those 10 family lunches. I absolutely love my family. We have an amazing relationship and we spend a ton of time together, but I think it all just kind of blurs together. But when I've undertaken a volunteer day with my family, you know, and, and like we've all spent a ton of time working together hard and being challenged together, I can vividly recall every single one of those types of endeavors that I've done with the same group of people that I have the same relationship with. And so I think that's another way to kind of frame this reverse legacy discussion with yourself is, you know, what is, what is true and lasting in your life and what is going to be a memory where, you know, maybe you reach your deathbed one day and you're having this conversation with yourself at that point in time too. And you say, wow, I mean, I really don't have that regret. I feel like I've lived a good life. And um, in doing that, I think you'll live a fulfilling life. You'll help others be fulfilled. And you'll also not, you know, reach kind of the end of the road filled with regret, like I think a lot of people do. Mm. That's so interesting because yesterday was my 65th birthday and I spent a couple of hours at the bedside of a dear friend, um, an older woman who adopted me as her daughter years ago. Um, oh, and she man. was on her deathbed and 
we talked about legacy and looking back over all that she had accomplished in life, not just during those working years, but beyond. And she was surrounded by her family. And what a what a wonderful picture to think about that day will come. Um, and to think now backward is uh, seems like such a productive way to prepare for those latter years. Now, your book highlights 10 vital keys to consider for retirement. Now, what are a few of these vital keys? Yeah. Um, and that's just an amazing story, by the way. Uh, I think that that's that's a beautiful thing to be mm-hmm. reminiscing on somebody's legacy on their deathbed and just know that they have made an impact and, you know, done all of these amazing things in their in their life journey. Um, before I answer your question, I just also want to bring up one other thing. Please. There's a concept in the book um, called the dash, and it connects with the reverse legacy discussion. And it's interesting because all of our tombstones one day will have a dash, right? The date of our birth and the date of our passing. And that dash is really interesting because it's just a dash on a tombstone. But you have to ask yourself, you know, as you look at the dash of our lives, can you honestly say that we leaned in until the end and had a marvelous adventure? You know, what does that dash actually equate to? And I think that's worthy of some reflection. For sure. Absolutely. I wonder, too, um, we live in such a youth obsessed culture. If we're sometimes intimidated at the thought that we might be productive, useful members of society with influence and live a meaningful life, when the, the message seems to be in some quarters anyway, that the older you get, the less use you are in general. I think that the, you know, the idea kind of permeates our society is if you're retired, you're a has been, you know. <laughs> Um, I've actually heard a number of retirees that I work with that I know well say, you know, people used to ask me, what do I do? Now they ask me, how do I fill my time? And it's just so funny to think, you know, why are retirees, you know, considered time fillers? They're the ones that have all of the tools to make the most impact in our society and on people's lives. And I think if you grab a thesaurus and you look up synonyms for the word retire, it's, it's super interesting. Um, you come across, you know, words like recede, withdraw, retreat. And so it's such a curiosity that so many people in our society, you know, like one of their sole aspirations is to retire when all of those synonyms just sound terrible to me. <laughs> yeah, <You know? laughs> that's a very good point. Um, again, I want to ask you to highlight some of the vital keys uh, to consider. You you highlight 10 vital keys that we should consider for, lack of a better word, those retirement years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so we go, we go down the list and wanted to be very, very thoughtful from our experience with our clients and in our own lives for, you know, what are the dominant keys and they're all cornerstone habits. And so I think I can start there. And what that means is there's certain disciplines in your life where if you integrate them into your life and you stay, you know, disciplined and um, you continually kind of cultivate them, that they'll create um, a better situation in other areas of your life that you didn't think, you know, so an easy one I think is movement. We didn't want to use the term exercise because a lot of people don't have a high affinity for exercise, mm-hmm. uh, right? But being active and moving. I mean, if you end up, you know, taking walks every day and staying active, I mean, you're going to see huge benefits in all other aspects of your life. 
Um, you know, not only your physical health, but your mental health, your connections, all of these different things. And so I think all these different keys that we discuss are really cornerstone habits in and of themselves where, you know, we don't expect readers to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to implement all 10 of the keys immediately um, and just be fulfilled from day one, right? I mean, it, it's all a work in progress. It's all a, we're trying to be better tomorrow than we were yesterday. And we're not comparing ourselves to anybody else because we're all so unique, um, you know, but clearly kind of the, the centerpiece of the book is uh, purpose. And um, that chapter's, you know, really in depth on a lot of different kind of perspectives on yes. purpose. But one of the main takeaways, I think, is that hunger is so much more important than skill. You know, you can be a very successful person in your career, but if you step away and you withdraw, you're not going to be fulfilled based on your past level of purpose and engagement and fulfillment. I mean, you really have to stay hungry in retirement and move forward. Um, there's this um, story in the book that we use about Stephen Francis and the Jamaican track team. And we all know that the Jamaicans are um, fantastic track track athletes mm -hmm. um and you know um this author and reporter that was you know visiting the jamaican uh track team uh showed up where he was supposed to meet the coach and he was blown away because the whole place was in shambles it was an old field you know um it wasn't this kind of this high tech you know luxurious training facility that the person had foreseen and the coach had a really interesting take he basically said that i want people to come here hungry and be able to get through this you know kind of this minimalist really challenging environment because that's where the true winners kind of emerge out of so you don't really get the true winners if they're living a life of luxury and they're not hungry and i think that applies to all of us in life just in general um, is you know we all need to be trying to better ourselves um, in any way possible every day um, yeah, and yeah. improve. And what so a great illustration. that's part of the purpose. Yep. I need to take a break, but uh, we'll be back in just a moment. Again, we're talking with Alex Lippert. He is the co-author along with Joel Malik of Afterwork, an honest discussion about the retirement lie and how to live a future worthy of dreams. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Alex Lippert. A great book, After Work, is the title, An Honest Discussion About the Retirement Lie and How to Live a Future Worthy of Dreams. Now, let's re rehearse again uh, what the retirement lie is and why it's important to be intentional moving uh, out of the work life into that period that follows in a meaningful way. What is the retirement lie? The retirement lie is that a selfish and withdrawn existence in retirement is a good one um, and that you know, you're going to sail off into the sunset, not have a worry, not experience life as you, as you have in the past. You know, life is not going to be glorious every single second. And we all kind of see this mirage on the horizon of retirement being that endless vacation. But in the end, you really can't take a vacation from a vacation. So your life cannot be a vacation 100% of the time. You need to stay engaged um, and you need to really lean in and try to make an impact. And if you do that, then I think you will be able to enjoy all the fun aspects of retirement. You encourage people um, 
not to burn energy on things they can't control because as we age, there are, are things that are out of our uh, ability to control. Why do you make that point, particularly during that period following work? Great question. I, I think um, the control thing is really interesting because we as humans, we really freak out if we can't be in control, you know. Um, and I think we all can can find stress in so many aspects of life. I mean, you just turn on the news, read the paper, and the headlines are just daunting. And you just wonder, how does our world not just fall apart every day based on the headlines? I mean, mm-hmm. it can be really just fear-filled, scary. You know, there's so many things to worry about out there. But the point is, is you're literally just a hamster kind of turning the wheel. And you're not, you know, making progress in your life by worrying, by being fearful, by trying to control things that quite literally you have no control of, you know, like the stock market, like the news cycle, like, you know, what's happening in China or the Middle East. I mean, you just go on and on, you know, with our politicians. And I think um, one of the doorways to finding purpose and fulfillment in your life is really trying to turn off that noise you know, that's constantly permeating everything, you know, our entire existence now is dependent on technology, you know, we all have supercomputer smartphones in our pockets, you know, that are more powerful than the computers that, you know, send the Apollo missions to the moon. Yes. (laughs) Um, And so we constantly are inundated with news, with opinions, with all of these different things. And that can literally just take over all of your mental capacity for, growth for, you know, progress in your own life. And so you really need to be able to dial down that noise um, and focus on things that you, that, that you can control. Um, you know, you can't control the news, but you can control your reaction to the news, you know. Um, and so you just go down that kind of list in your mind and, and ultimately you land at a spot where you realize, you know, there are a few things for certain that I can control in my life and I'm going to control those really well. And most of what I'm inundated with, I cannot control. So I'm not going to try to control it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I used a, a quote uh, that you provided uh, earlier in the program about the rate of divorce among couples approaching retirement and following um, and you also write about loneliness, the impact that loneliness has dur- and can have during those years. Can you talk about the need for community and relationship during those uh, post, uh, those that after work period? Yeah, loneliness is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day to one's health, um, mm. said a very large um, research project done by Cigna, the large insurer. Um, and so, that's obviously a problem, I think, for a lot of retirees. And sometimes that's completely out of their hands. I mean, a spouse passes away, um, you know, and they're not going to be remarried or anything, and they feel lonely. And so I think, you know, for, you know, those widows or just in general, I think the idea is is to really lean in with your connections and, um We also looked at other research um, on just connections and relationships, and we put this in the book, but what they found is it's not about the number of relationships you have. You know, it's not about you being a social butterfly. You know, I'm an introvert, which is funny because I'm being interviewed on a radio station, Um, (laughs) but... Uh, I think, you know, it's really about the depth of your relationships, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's not like you need to go out and be a social butterfly, but 
those relationships in your life that are meaningful to you, how can you kind of step into those further? How can you develop those relationships further and have a deeper, more meaningful relationship? And I think by doing that, even if there's only a few people in your life or one person that you feel like you really want to do that with, I think that's going to bear a lot of fruit for you down the road. I think a great quote uh, by Robert Louis Stevenson kind of rings true to this discussion, but um, he's the author of Treasure Island um, and a poet. And he Mm -hmm. said, don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds that you plant. And I think relationships and combating, you know, loneliness and depression and, and all of these kind of pitfalls of retirees Um, the key is to really focus on all of the seeds that you're planting, you know, because the harvest comes later, you know, like the farmer's not out there planting a seed once, and then they don't reap the benefits every year thereafter for all eternity. I mean, they have to go out and plant the seeds every year. And so it's a continual progression that you have to have in your life, you know, a continual level of effort that you have to be there trying to cultivate these relationships. Yeah, yeah. And for the record, I'm an introvert as well, and I host a radio show, so go figure, huh? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. (laughs) You include a chapter Mm -hmm. on faith, and we're just about out of time, but I didn't want to miss talking about the role that faith can play in a uh, a retiree's life. Yeah, C.S. Lewis had a great quote. He said, faith is a habit. We must be continually reminded of what we believe, and it must be fed. And like any of the other tenets, you know, it is something that needs to be cultivated in your life. You don't just wake up one day and open up a Bible um, and say, okay, I'm faithful, right? I mean, it's a process. And all of us as humans, uh, we have this internal division in our lives, you know, where we have, you know, that devil on our shoulder and the angel on our shoulder, you know, that whole visual. And the devil is extremely loud, much louder than, than, than the small little angel on your shoulder. And so, the devil tells us, you know, feed me because time is almost up. And as humans, we see, you know, the clock ticking, you know, maybe we're 65, maybe we're 85 and we're saying, oh man, I have less time ahead of me. And so, you know, a lot of us tend to scramble to try to fill that void, um, you know, with things that create happiness, like some of the items that we discussed earlier in the show. Um, But I think you can't fill a bucket that has holes in it. You know, the more you put into it, the more it just spills out the bottom and it, and it will never be full. And I think faith is one of those things that, you know, your values and your faith, I think that's one of the things that plugs the bucket and actually leads you to be more, more fulfilled long term. Yeah, yeah. Well, I really enjoyed the book and will be referencing it in the days ahead. Again, the title is After Work, An Honest Discussion About the Retirement Lie and How to Live a Future Worthy of Dreams. This uh, book is published independently. How can our listeners uh, acquire a copy? Yeah, we've got a landing page website. It's www.theafterwork.net, or you can find us on Amazon. .net. I'll make sure I put that on our Uh, assets pages so that our listeners can find that. Uh, Alex Lippert, thank you so much for talking with us today. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks so much. It was nice to meet you. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We're going to, we've been trying to catch up on some of the news we did not have the opportunity to cover earlier in the week. So we'll continue to do that uh, right through the next couple of 
segments. Well, there's still a lot of interest in firearms, while the ammo shortage shows no sign of improving. And new um, uh, Harvard data accidentally reveals how lockdowns crush the working class while leaving elites pretty much unscathed. Well, Coca-Cola shareholders excoriated the company's discriminatory policy for contracted lawyers. And Apple and its homosexual CEO censor 27 LGBTQ apps in China. Well, Sesame Street has added a family with two gay fathers in a Pride Month episode. And a nonprofit founded by BLM's Patrice Cullors failed to uh, disclose major donations. That's Black Lives Matter. Uh, Twelve deaths linked to a tropical uh, storm, including 10 killed in car crash, um, the Washington Examiner reports. And there's no legitimate reason to keep ineligible voters on the rolls. So Georgia's Secretary of State removed 100,000 outdated voter files. Pennsylvania is poised to begin an Arizona-style election audit with subpoena power. And a a federal judge charged U.S. marshals in a vaccination dispute. Wuhan lab was found all the genes to create an epidemic strain of coronavirus way back in 2017 as the search continues for its origins. A hardliner under U.S. sanction won Iran's presidency with historically low turnout. The Washington Post has been panned for a report on Stacey Abrams and Democrats' evolution on voter ID. It's being called an absolute disgrace. Well, the Post was slammed on Monday for a report on the apparent evolution prominent Democrats have made when it comes to voter ID laws. Well, last week, Senator Joe Manchin, a Democrat from West Virginia, attempted to spearhead his own voting rights legislation in hopes of getting some bipartisan support, which is looking grim. And, of course, now we know it's failed. However, former Georgia gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams, who's never conceded defeat, raised eyebrows by suggesting she's open to Manchin's bill, which required voter ID. No one has ever objected to having to approve who you are to vote, which is a false statement. She was speaking on CNN last week. It's been part of our nation's history since the inception of voting. But as the RNC pointed out over the weekend, the Georgia Democrat had a sharply different stance just two months ago, linking voter ID requirements to Jim Crow. Well, let's hope there's an evolution in her thinking. And other developments, widespread support for voter ID and making early voting easier, according to a new poll. Leo Terrell blasts Stacey Abrams for lying about supporting voter ID. And Republicans rejected Stacey Abrams' endorsed election bill proposal from Manchin as totally inappropriate. MSNBC brought on Stacey Abrams to bash the Georgia election review while ignoring her refusal to concede. Colorado mayor um, has uh, suspended the Pledge of Allegiance at a meeting, but attendees had, well, a mind of their own or rather minds of their own. They recited it anyway. Shane Furman, the mayor of Silverton, Colorado, announced at a trustee meeting last week that the Pledge of Allegiance will be suspended due to the direct and indirect threats, which prompted at least one trustee to challenge his ruling before attendees recited the pledge anyway. KDVR reported that Furman Uh, said he made the decision based on inappropriate comments in and out of public meetings and general divisiveness and issues created in our community. One of the trustees challenged him and called out his unilateral decision. He downplayed her uh, concerns and told her to find out where it's written that uh, says he cannot make such a ruling, at which point he would welcome that decision and that discussion at the next meeting. Furman did not immediately respond to uh, emails to respond to uh, what the community attending the meeting, had decided to do on their own. In other developments, uh, Islander fans 
uh, belted out the national anthem in a viral moment ahead of the Game 6 victory over the Bruins. And a Michigan redistricting committee rejected the Pledge of Allegiance at meetings as too divisive. Uh, Los Angeles City Council Democrat butchered the Pledge of Allegiance when trying to recite it. Gavin Newsom says California will pay off unpaid rent accrued during the coronavirus pandemic. Wants to retain his office, I suppose. California will pay off all the past due rent accumulated by residents during the coronavirus pandemic. The move would fulfill a promise to help landlords break even while giving renters a clean slate, according to the report this week. Uh, California is planning rent forgiveness on a scale never seen before in the United States. Newsom wrote on Twitter on Monday night, attributing the post to a report by The New York Times. The state has about $5.2 billion from federal aid packages approved by Congress to pay off people's rent. So congratulations, you have a role in that. In other developments, New York landlords are homeless because they are unable to evict deadbeat tenants thanks to a COVID law. Nightmare tenants turn New York City luxury apartments into illicit, illegal, mask-free nightclub. And a Minnesota girl slams the school board over Black Lives Matter posters following... um, uh, add no politics promise. Uh, U.S. Olympic athlete Chelsea Wolfe threatens to burn flag on the podium and Google's if she is successful. And Google reported uh, ties to Wuhan-linked scientists points to one of the biggest scandals of our time. Most Americans will start receiving money from the government every month at child credit. And Mexico has extended the deadline for a do-over of the disputed GM contract vote. Lithium mines are fighting flower power as President Biden looks to ramp up production. Well, China is pushing for a Nobel Prize for the Wuhan lab in an effort to make the narrative of the last 15 months seem even more Orwellian. Jim Garrity points out that the Chinese foreign ministry argues that the Wuhan Institute of Virology deserves to win the Nobel Prize for medicine, a look at the blatant contradiction in China's propaganda about vaccine diplomacy. The fact that the Chinese government insists the Wuhan Institute of Virology deserves celebration is another indicator that it intends to change nothing in the aftermath of the pandemic. Jazz Shaw says this, I doubt that the leader of the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, even be, uh, believe the stuff that they are peddling, but their state-run news agency have to keep up appearances on the home front. They continue to spread rumors that if the virus didn't come from the wet markets, it probably came out of a military laboratory in Maryland. By the way, I thought there weren't wet markets in that area. I'll have to backtrack and uh, check that out. Georgia Senator uh, Raphael Warnick is denied that he ever opposed voter ID. Senator Warnick um, claims that he has never been opposed to voter ID, but a view of Warnick's past comments found that he has been a fierce opponent of the same. I have never been opposed to voter ID, he now says. In fact, I don't know anybody who is. I'm not sure where he's been. Uh, anybody who believes people shouldn't have to prove that they are who they say they are. And this has been the arg- argument all along in this election debate. So this is uh, bordering on comical, if not so serious. Uh, from a Nell poll by Monmouth University, fully four in five Americans, 80 percent, support requiring voters to show photo identification in order to cast a ballot. Just 18 percent oppose it. The IRS denies tax-exempt status to a religious group claiming, and this is the IRS claiming, the Bible's teachings are typically affiliated with the Republican Party. Therefore, you cannot um, receive tax-exempt status. Now, this is really quite priceless. 
Uh, First Liberty, uh, in response, says the Institute appealed an IRS um, determination denying tax exempt status to Christian Christians engaged, a nonprofit organization that exists to educate and empower Christians to pray for our nation and elected officials vote and be civically engaged. Well, Christian uh, headlines, the IRS in a May 18th letter charged that the organization operates for the private interests of the Republican Party. Specifically, you educate Christians on what the Bible says on areas where they can be instrumental, including the areas uh, of the sanctity of life, the definition of marriage, biblical justice, freedom of speech, defense and borders and immigration, U.S. and Israel relations, the IRS letter said. In other words, um, they affiliate the Bible with the Republican Party and therefore denied um, uh, tax-exempt status because they believed it to be partisan. I'll let you uh, sort through that on your own. Meanwhile, the Supreme Court ruling will weaken the NC2A, many argue. At issue before the court was the NC2A's strict limitations on compensating college athletes. They ruled unanimously that the association had violated antitrust laws, Wall Street Journal reports that the decision marks an historic loss of control for an organization that for decades has maintained a narrow view of how athletes are compensated for playing college sports and wielded a powerful enforcement club at those who violated them. It held the power to, to vacate titles and remove wins. Well, Justice Kavanaugh in the decision said nowhere else in America can businesses get away with agreeing not to pay their workers a fair market rate on the theory that their product is defined by not paying their workers on a fair market rate. The under ordinary principles of antitrust law, uh, it is not evident why college sports should be any different. The NC2A is not above the law. Well, a weakened NC2A may open the door for state standards on compensation and protection of gender specific sports. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the issue of gender is entering the Tokyo Olympics as New Zealand announces a male-to-female weightlifter. Laurel Hubbard, a male-to-female transgender weightlifter, is set to make history as the first openly transgender person to participate in the Olympics. Hubbard is 43, was selected to join New Zealand's weightlifting team at the Olympics in Tokyo, Tokyo rather, this summer. The United States may be sending Chelsea Wolfe, a transgender athlete, as well. Breitbart points out in comments, uh, Chelsea Wolf made it clear that his goal was to win and burn the flag as a very uh, as a way of exacting retribution against the Trump administration for hurting trans children. OK, that's kind of a convoluted way of doing that. I, I suppose he'll try to uh, work in an explanation if successful. Indiana University is being sued for mandating the vaccine for faculty and students. The Federalist reports that after Indiana University recently implemented a vaccine mandate for all students, Parents founded the IU Family for Choice, Not Mandates group and filed a lawsuit on Monday against the university. The publicly funded university sent an email to all faculty, staff and students announcing they are required to receive the COVID-19 vaccine, according to a press release. Well, the university threatened employees who do not want to take the vaccine, noting that if they uh, refuse it, their employment will be terminated. Similarly, students who refuse the vaccine will lose access to all IU systems and have their class uh, registration revoked. From the Washington Post, the nation's youngest adults remain the least likely to be vaccinated against the coronavirus and their weekly rates of vaccination are declining. House Minority Leader McCarthy has renewed his push to move the Olympics from China. Beijing is currently scheduled to host the 2022 Winter Olympic Games. 
the Free Beacon reports in a letter to House Republicans on Monday, McCarthy offered a roadmap for confronting China on its on its coronavirus lies, urging um, for renewed efforts to relocate the Olympics. The Republican leader said that China should not be rewarded with the games after concealing information about COVID-19, which has killed more than 600,000 Americans and 3.8 million people worldwide from the international community. The unfortunate reality is is that countless friends and family members could have been saved had it not been for the deception of the Chinese Communist Party, McCarthy wrote. Like all of you, I am deeply angry about the avoidable loss of life, hope, and futures resulting from the CCP's actions. They are, uh, they and their conspirators must be held accountable. Well, the question, does the president believe that a 15-week-old unborn baby is a human being? Answer, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. Are you asking me if the president supports a woman's right to choose? He does. The Washington Examiner uh, went on to say the tense exchange on abortion came just days after the uh, United States Conference of um, Catholic Bishops voted 168 to 55 to pursue the creation of a document that could lead to pro-abortion rights politicians being banned from receiving Holy Communion. Robbie George says if we take him at his word, number one, Joe Biden believes that unborn children are human beings who bear inherent and equal dignity and a right to life. Number two, Joe Biden believes that this particular class of persons should be denied protection against homicide afforded by law to all others. Well, the backlash against critical race theory is real and continues. The opposition is not fading quickly. And no, you didn't have to do your Ph.D. research on critical race theory in order to be qualified to stand against it. Ryan uh, Gerdusky says people concerned uh, with the its growing influence are expected to quote critical race theorists, including Richard De- uh, Delgado and Derek Bell, post-structuralists like Michael um, Foucault and Marxists like Antonio uh, Gromisky or uh, be considered um, uninformed on the issue. The media are actively attempting to set the parameters by which one can legitimately debate on the merits of critical race theory. But don't be deterred. Charles Cook points out that just as one does not have to fully understand the details of modern monetary theory in order to be vehemently against the federal government's choosing to borrow tens of trillions of dollars, so one does not have to have a graduate school level understanding of critical race theory in order to oppose the intellectual and educational trends that it has engendered. Parents will not be stopped by academic sophistry. They will not be stopped by Um, epithets and insults, and they certainly will not be stopped by professional Pinocchialists, a word that's just been created, who simply refuse to believe that anyone could possibly care about the matter at all. The New York Times is blind to what it has become. Lee Seigel, writing for the City Journal, argues that uh, they are guilty of projection. Reading the Times over the last four years, you could f- be forgiven at times for thinking that the paper's um, longtime motto, all the news that's fit to print, had been replaced by the Trotskyist uh, slogan, the worse, the better. If uh, it bleeds, it leads has been the uh, guiding imperative for the news business uh, since its inception. But the combination of fear of being outpaced by social media, sinking profits and generational conflict in the newsroom, taking the form of an ideological putsch, transformed the times from a a genial, um, if sometimes uh, comical Margaret Dumont, reliably huffing uh, in outrage and indignation into a shrieking Cassandra. 
In other news, are college sports doomed? The Supreme Court sided with student athletes and more than 600 vets released a letter denouncing a woke military and socialism in the U.S. Kevin McCarthy is offering an eight pillar plan to hold China accountable for the covid pandemic. And the Georgia hospital system has been hit with a ransomware attack following the Biden Putin summit. Well, a hacker attempted to taint San Francisco's drinking water as well. Well, Nellis Air Force Base hosted its first ever drag queen show, asserting it's essential to the morale, cohesion and readiness of the military. Stop and think about that for a moment. A drag queen show was essential to the morale, cohesion and readiness of the military. I'll leave it at that. Well, violence broke out at various Juneteenth celebrations across the country over the weekend. And the Olympic Games has been hit with a backlash after a New Zealand transgender athlete qualifies on the women's side. Like a bad joke, a female competitor reacted to the announcement. Over 60,000 signed petitions to stop Jeff Bezos from returning to Earth have actually been filed, according to to the New York Post and his effort to make it before anyone else. Republicans used, uh, as, as in terms of a civilian, Republicans used the filibuster to block the debate on the Democrats' uh, election reform bill, I would refer to as rotten. Senate Republicans on Tuesday blocked sweeping legislation on election and campaign finance reforms. The Democrats argued was crucial to ensuring voting rights and saving democracy, but the GOP blasted as a partisan power grab. Well, the For the People Act, I mean, who could be opposed to the For the People Act, needed 60 votes to clear a procedural vote in the Senate. The Republicans filibustered and killed the legislation from advancing to debate. No Republicans joined with the 50 Democrats on the motion to proceed. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said Republicans won't stand for Democrats attempting to impose new voting standards on states that would rig elections in their favor. He called the substance of the nearly 900-page bill rotten, to its core. Republicans took issue with imposing federal standards on state elections that they said would weaken state ID requirements. They also opposed starting a new public financing system for congressional elections and politicizing the Federal Elections Commission that enforces campaign finance laws. Democrats with the White House on their side framed the legislation as an urgent priority to save democracy in the face of GOP efforts in state legislatures around the country to pass uh, voter suppression laws, as they would characterize them, in the wake of former President Trump's election loss and unsubstantiated claims of widespread voter fraud, end quote. Well, in other developments, Senator Kennedy slammed the Democrats' cynical election bill, calling it uh, the Screw the People Act. An MSNBC guest compared the Senate GOP blocking the Democrats' voting bill to apartheid. It all boils down to race in the uh, 21st century. An AOC um a set of the filibuster after Republicans blocked the voting bill. Um, and Vice President Kamala Harris broke ties with the Senate uh, as the Senate confirmed, rather, um, Kieran Ahuja, President Biden's uh, nominee for critical with critical race theory ties. I pretty much butchered that, but I hope you got the idea. Senator Manchin uh, struck a, a deal with Schumer to vote yes on advancing the voting reform bill. But, of course, that's no longer a relevant issue. Virginia's uh, Loudoun County School Board silenced public comment after a raucous meeting where two men were arrested. We'll tell you more about that in a moment. We need to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, Virginia parents torched the Loudoun County School Board over critical race theory and pornographic books 
in school calling out the wokest and worst school board in America after the meeting erupted into chaos and two men were arrested. A Minnesota girl slammed the school board over the BLM posters after a no politics promise was made. And the Every Black Lives Matters group president knocked the Black Lives Matter uh, movement as too narrow in scope because some people are not black or woke enough. A Michigan cop broke down in tears after killing a woman who shot at him during a Juneteenth parade over the weekend. New video shows a Flint Police Department officer breaking down in tears after shooting and killing a 19-year-old woman who authorities say opened fire on him during a parade on Saturday. The officer was uh, directing traffic during the city's Juneteenth celebration parade when Brianna Sykes uh, pulled out, uh, pulled up to him and fired a gun at about 2.14 p.m., according to the Michigan State Police. Video of the incident shows the officer walking along the car as uh, he gives her orders. Let me see your hands, the officer can be heard yelling several times. After the gunfire, Sykes' car slowly creeps forward as the officer appears uh, to collapse to the ground in tears. Other nearby officers rushed to assist. A police union says the media and politicians are gaslighting the public into supporting the defund movement. And California driver um, has been charged with murder after a suspected DUI crash killed two young sisters, 11 and 8. Eric Adams uh, takes uh, the lead in the Democrats' uh, New York City mayoral primary race. Yang has conceded defeat. And Mr. Sliwa has won the GOP uh, nod in that race. Vanessa Bryant and uh, families uh, reach a settlement in the helicopter crash that killed Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and others. And Portland police officers will no longer make certain traffic stops. They have to follow new consent search guidelines. So I don't know if you feel any safer. I'm not sure I do. Some used vehicles now cost more than the original sticker price. In other words, a 2019 vehicle might cost you more than a 2021 version of the same car. Meanwhile, Powell says the Fed will wait for actual inflation before raising interest rates. The FAA is proposing unmasked passengers and staff um, assaulters pay hefty fines. So control yourself if you're flying. And the U.S. has seized uh, Internet domains tied to Iran's government. Well, Republicans filibuster the Democrats' effort to force nationalized elections, and we know the outcome. Democrats are worrying that uh, crime will bite them in the next election, a tacit admission, they are, uh, they are the reason crime is on the rise. Well, a Biden official says COVID's origins may never be known. From the story in Yahoo News, the top U.S. intelligence official said in an interview with Yahoo News on Monday that the true origin of the COVID-19 pandemic, which has killed 600,000 Americans alone and almost 4 million people worldwide, may never be known. Avril Haines, director of the National Intelligence, uh, of National Intelligence, rather, claimed uh, her team was doing everything it could not only to discover the origins of the pandemic, but also to fight out um, uh, to figure out new ways to look at the problem in hopes of finding a breakthrough. There's a good bit of skepticism around that claim. Senator Chris Murphy says Democrats have to remove the filibuster to save democracy. It's actually a constitutional republic, but, you know, who cares about the details. Senior um, uh, Senator Chris Murphy said he supported removing or reforming the filibuster so Democrats could pass legislation in the U.S. Senate with a simple majority vote in order to save our democracy. When asked about Senator Kristen uh, Sinema opposing removing the, the filibuster, Murphy, uh, Murphy said, we no longer have two parties that are both committed to democracy and extending the vote. In fact, we have one party that spent much of the beginning of this year actively trying to ins- 
uh, install someone as president who didn't win the election, the electoral college vote or the popular vote. So when uh, that uh, breakdown occurs, it is the responsibility of the majority party to make sure that our democracy is protected. Well, I won't bother to correct the several mistakes in that statement, but we'll move forward. Cities are running ads begging tourists to visit their cities after year-long riots. Uh, Full-page advertisements have been taken out in the New York Times and other major newspapers on Sunday as part of a massive promotional effort to try to lure tourists back after a year of highly publicized violent rioting. Coin uh, says this, Travel Portland confirmed it purchased the advertisement and said, after a year of encouraging visitors and locals to support small businesses here and from a distance, it's time to issue an invitation to come back to Portland. Well, good luck with that effort. Houston Methodist Hospital fired 153 employees for not getting vaccinated. Same hospital that suspended them a few weeks ago. Remember when they were heroes? Well, now they're out of a job. Parents pack a school board meeting um, over critical race theory in various places around the country, and protesters are arrested while trespassing at the home of Senator Ted Cruz. For some reason, they blamed him for climate change. The U.S. needs 5.5 million more homes than are currently available, helping to contribute to the rising home uh, rising of home prices. The New York Times analysis says there's no in identifiable tuna. No identifiable tuna DNA in Subway's tuna sandwich. They dug through 60 tuna sandwiches from three different Los Angeles locations. No comment so far from Subway. No tuna in their tuna sandwiches? Well, as crime gets worse, President Biden takes a big risk with new anti-gun executive orders. You can read more in the Washington Examiner. And the honeymoon is over. Biden's approval numbers have dropped, while disapproval numbers spike. That's pretty typical. Uh, They must have been cheating. That's what a watchdog group says, who's suing for records relating to derogatory comments Biden's ATF nominee allegedly made against black agents. And big tech, Google suppresses uh, lab leak information. Meanwhile, Google... Uh, funded uh, Wuhan collaborator Peter Daszak's virus experiments for uh, over a decade have uh, turned a lot of uh, unwelcome attention to Google. And naturally then, uh, Daszak is recused from the medical journal's COVID-19 commission. And while New Jersey's school board reverses its plan to scrap holiday names, outraged parents are being smeared in the media as right-wing fanatics. So Christmas is actually going to appear as Christmas on the Calendar. A Seattle City group defended a reparations free, rather, a reparations fee for white people at a public event. So in Seattle, if I go to the event, I'm charged $5.99. If you, as a Caucasian, go to the event, you're charged $12.99. Seattle City group defended a reparations fee for white people. And restaurants are now adding equity charges to customers' checks. Now, they're not distributing those funds, I assume, to people they think have been. Uh, the subject of discrimination, they're pocketing those fees, but they're on their own adding equity charges. You might want to check your uh, receipt. By the way, San Francisco is the most racist city in America. That's according to critical race theory, that new math. A Japanese soccer player on the women's World Cup team comes out as transgender. And as a Colorado mayor bans the Pledge of Allegiance at a meeting, attendees recite it in protest anyway. Well, on this day in history, Congress approves Deposit Act, which contains a provision for turning over surplus federal revenue to the states. 1868, Christopher Latham Scholes receives a patent for his typewriter. 
uh, featuring the QWERTY keyboard. It's the first commercially successful typewriter. Back in 38, the Civil Aeronautics Authority is uh, established. 47, the Senate joins the House in overriding President uh, Harry S. Truman's veto of the Taft-Hartley Act, designed to limit the power of organized labor. In 69, Warner, uh, Warren Burger is sworn in as Chief Justice of the United States. 72, President Richard Nixon and White House Chief of Staff H.R. Haldeman discuss using CIA to obstruct the FBI's Watergate investigation. That would lead uh, to Nixon's ultimate resignation in 1974. Also, Nixon signed the Title IX um, uh, signed Title IX, rather, barring discrimination on the basis of sex for any educational program or activity. And in 2018, 12 boys and their soccer coach began exploring the caves in Thailand before getting trapped, leading to a widely publicized rescue effort. Well, we are out of time. Coming up tomorrow, we'll talk with Oss Hillman, 31 Decrees of Blessing for Your Work Life. Have a great night. Thanks, James, Clark, Dan. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.